Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, we're going to close out our travels to Edinburgh with the story of two dodgy blokes named William Burke and William Hare. But it's a special episode, and you know what that means. Road trip with the panda. Yeah. That's right. I don't know where your inspiration comes from for that little slogan. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Who that's supposed to be or what that is, but... It's not you? It's not us. <laughs> I'm supposed to be related to you. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, well, so, like I said, in the first episode covering Edinburgh, I briefly mentioned one of the scenes of their crimes by discussing the haunted vaults. The vaults being, you know, obviously in Edinburgh. Of, of William and Burke. Or... William Burke and William Hare. And so tonight we're going to go a little deeper and discuss what these evil pieces of shits did to make a few sterlings, a few English pounds. But but I think from here on out, I'll, we'll just call these sons of bitches Burke and Hare. Does that? I guess that works. I don't, I don't even know. Well, their both name is William, so that. So it's the William, the William gang. William, the wet, the Williams. The wet William bandits. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so like uh, I previously shared, the vaults were basically this decrepit and devoid of humanity, and everybody that lived there in these vaults, they were rapes, thefts, and murders, and sadly, it you know obviously doesn't come to no surprise that Burke and Hare actually uses these vaults to their advantage. Now, kind of to set the scene, we're talking 17th century Scotland, Edinburgh, and so a lot of poverty, a lot of just, you know, no sanitation. It's gross. And, you know, money's hard to come by. Work is hard. Life is hard. And part of what feeds into this situation that Burke and Hare creates is that Edinburgh at that time was known for advanced medical science. And in order to be known for that, you have to be, you know, well advanced in the medical field. You have to have really good medical schools, and medical schools mean teaching and studying the human bodies. And to be able to do all of that stuff, to be the top dog, they need dead bodies. They need cadavers. 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 There's something with that word. I don't know. Deathly volunteers. Right. And then on top of everything else, Scottish law is like, hey, corpses that are used for medical research can only come from those who have died in prison, suicide, or known as strays. Okay, I don't really know what a stray means, but basically an unknown and orphans. 
So the medical schools at this time, they're not really going to ask, like, hey, where'd you get this body? And they kind of create basically a black market. And Burke and Hare are the two pieces of shit willing to pay their rent and profit from this situation. So to kind of give a little background on who Burke and Hare were, Burke was born in 1792 in Erne County, Tyrone, Ireland. Uh, he was born in the middle class. He joined the British Army as a teenager. In 1818, he married, but he got into an argument with his father-in-law over land ownership. And Burke up and leaves his wife and family. He basically abandons them. He heads to Scotland, hooks up with his second wife, a Helen McDougall. McDougall? McDougall? And yeah, then in 1820, he goes to Milosian to work the harvest, and that's where Burke actually meets Hare, who's also there working the harvest. As for Hare, there's actually not a lot of information on this guy, but they do believe he was born in Armagh or uh, County Armagh or County Londonderry or Newary, uh, I believe in Ireland, and he's actually considered illiterate quarrelsome, has a violent temper, and is a amoral character. And he basically has, like, a lot of physical feature scars to kind of show how violent he is. But when he does get arrested in 1828, he gives the age of 21, which I actually don't think is accurate because that's pretty young. But, again, nothing has really been confirmed. Well, they don't live very long, right? These people don't make it past, what was like, 50-something. Yeah. So 21 is like their prime, and then that's it. Well, he's prime, all right. He's ugly. Yeah. (laughs) So we do know that he comes to Edinburgh in the mid-1820s, where he himself lodges at what's called the Tanner's Close. That's what they called lodges or closes. And at that time, the Tanner Close was owned by a man named Luke and his wife, Margaret. When Luke dies in 1826, Hare actually marries Margaret and hence, he now becomes the owner of the Tanner clothes. Is she ugly, too? Uh, <laughs> he's got scars in his face, and he's a dumb, dumbass, right? Right. He's, he's ugly. He's mean. You know. I don't think anybody looks pretty in If you're going to be 18, dumb, you got to be dumb, you know? 28. Nobody's looking good in these days. All right. Okay. Anywho, so at the harvest, they become friends, and Hare invites Burke and his wife, Helen, to come stay with them at the Tanner Close in November of 1828. Now, when they move to Edinburgh, Burke and Helen become hawkers, which basically means they're selling secondhand clothing to impoverished locals. But Burke actually kind of changes his career a little bit and becomes a cobbler, you know, a shoe cobbler. And... What? I can't sniffle? (laughs) I'm listening. Keep going. Anywho, he actually becomes kind of a little popular with this new career. He would entertain his clients by singing and dancing while on their doorsteps while cobbling their shoes. So he's actually kind of a likable kind of a guy. Burke. Burke is, correct. The guy who says ugly. No, hair's ugly. Okay. Burke is the guy who, who didn't divorce the girl because of daddy issues. Correct. Okay. 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 However, Burke and his wife and Hare and his wife, the, the two couples actually living together acquire a reputation for hard drinking and basically having boisterous 
boisterous behaviors. So they're all living together at the Tanner Close when a third roommate slash lodger by the name of Donald, no last name given, up and dies from dropsy on November 29th, 1827. And the problem is Hare is a little pissed because Donald owed rent. So Hare is complaining and complaining and complaining to Burke about it. And they kind of come up with the idea of, well, he's dead. Why don't we just earn the money back by selling his body to the Edinburgh Medical College and recoup the rent? But they do have a slight problem. I mean, the, the idea is brilliant. We'll just sell the body. The problem, though, is, is that Donald had actually had a coffin. A local parish made a, paid for a coffin for him. When the carpenter arrives, he arrives with the coffin. He puts Donald in it, and then he seals it, and he leaves it there until it's time to actually bury the body. So what Burke and Hare do is they basically wait for him to leave, and they open the coffin themselves. They remove old Donald. They stuff him under the bed. And then they refill the carpet, the carpet, they refill the coffin with bark and then seal it. And then they just basically watch the carpenter take off with the coffin and they bury it. You know, this is their first time. They're obviously nervous and all this shady shit. They wait till after dark. And as soon as the coffin is taken for burial, they hop, skip and jump over to Edinburgh University. And once there, they start a relationship, if you will, a wheeling and dealing relationship with a doctor, Robert Knox. Uh, at this time, they settle on seven pounds or seven sterlings and seven and ten pence. Hare gets the bulk of it because he owned the tanner and he was owed rent. And Burke gets, you know, the, the smaller portion. But at this time, they actually begin to realize how profitable body snatching trade could be. But again, the bigger issue is, okay... You know, Donald was a gift. He just died. But waiting for people to die is not as appealing either because you don't know when they're going to drop dead. And on top of that, not knowing when people are going to die, they also had the problem of because the black market cadaver situation was a, a big issue, people of Edinburgh were getting wise to midnight grave diggers. They actually had a, a name for them. They were called Resurrection Men. And so what they would do is is that um, families of recently deceased loved ones would ha either have large slabs of cement placed on the grave or they would actually put a cage over the grave called a mort safe to prevent grave diggers from doing exactly what Burke and Hare, you know, could have done to earn extra income. Just big, you know, dig up dead bodies. So, but this begins a really, uh, a year long, actually, of killings, okay? It just sounds like a bad habit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you choose their fingernails once, and, you know, you can't stop. Right. So. Well. Just dead corpses. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think dead corpses are back on the rise these days. You yeah. think so? <laughs> I mean, come on. No, nobody's dying now. So, this, this universities need to study something, right? Right. So, right. I feel like this would be a good idea for some people to start paying their rent. Right. Well. I'm just saying. Right. So they actually don't know who dies next, but they, they do know that it was a lodger, and the lodger dies in either January or February. And he actually falls ill with a fever, and it's a serious fever. They have delirium. 
And the lodger is either a Joseph, who's a miller, or an Abigail Simpson, who's a salt seller. And, you know, again, Hare's nervous because he doesn't want this illness to keep away other lodgers from paying rent, uh, staying away. So they come up with the idea of giving the lodger some nice whiskey, making them comfortable, making them relax, probably even enough to make them sleep. And then it was decided that Burke would lay across the chest to hold them down while Hare utilized, you know, a handy-dandy pillow and basically smothered them to make everything all better. So that's what they do to the next person in either February or January. And once, you know, the body it becomes a body, they hot, skip, and jump over to Dr. Knox, and they sell the body. And this is this becomes their, their plan. Uh, the next body is, they think, is an English bloke selling tinder again kind of a nobody and he's the perfect victim this english broke actually becomes very ill with jaundice so it's kind of ironic you know they don't want to wait for people to die but all of a sudden they have all these sick people showing up but this guy actually becomes very ill with jaundice and he is very uh, ill and again hair is like this illness is going to keep people away from my lodge we're just we're just gonna have to kill him and that way he'll will pay his rent. So your fault. You're sick. You're paying my rent. Right, exactly. They kill them by laying on top of him. Right. They just pure well, body weight after after liquoring them up. Right. So they're obviously unable to fend off Burke, and then Hare comes in with something to a smother. Pillow. Right. So how do they fl- do? They flip a coin each time. Like, okay, you're the pillow today. I, no, don't. I don't want to lay on top of it. I don't know. I, I just don't get, I mean, how is that? Determined? What, well, it's not determination. It's, it's stupidity. Let's kill him by laying on him. I, who does that? Well, Heron Burke. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where do they get this idea? If we lay on him, he'll die. Well, they actually kind of get a little inventive, you know, with a couple of different things. The next person who gets burked and haired, basically. Burked and haired. Um, is probably Abigail, if it wasn't Abigail before. Again, they don't really know the order. When Burke confesses to all these terrible things, he's not exactly sure. But they get her roaring drunk, and they kill her. And then they actually start doing this weird thing where, because uh, it's, you can't be carrying around dead bodies. they got to hide the body. And if you can't get to the vaults to hide the dead bodies in the vaults, you got to have it guised in something. So they actually start using what's called a tea chest. And once they kill Abigail, they scurry their evil asses again to Dr. Burke or Dr. Knox. Sell the body. And, you know, we have to remember the wives are probably aware of this because the fourth victim is actually the wives are like, my turn. So in March, February, March, Margaret Hare invites just this old woman over, liquors her up, and when she passes out and Hare comes home, he just covers her mouth and nose with something that's considered a stiff mattress. So I guess maybe he didn't want to do the holding down because he just basically puts this heavy thing on her body where she, and basically she dies like slowly. So Hare really isn't, you know, you're heavy guy, so it must have been Burke who's doing all the heavy. Heavy, heavy lifting? Yeah. <laughs> heavy dropping? Heavy heavy pressing. Heavy pressing, pressing, heavy, pre- yeah. heavy pressing. The hair and Burke style. Correct. Burke and hair, yes. So 
by nightfall, she finally dies because she can't take the heavy mattress on her chest. And they do the truffle shuffle back to the university. The truffle shuffle? Yeah. Is this like, why? (laughs) They're celebrating? Yeah. (laughs) Why the truffle shuffle? I've never. (laughs) Well, they're. They were giddy with excitement. They had to do they very do some little. Haunted mansion dancing, you know. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we got a body. We got a body. Yeah, <laughs> obviously not too loud, you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> now things kind of start going. They don't know it yet, but around April, stuff starts kind of adding up. So, in April, Burke is basically chilling at a local tavern where he meets two women a Mary Patterson and a Janet Brown. And he cut, I mean, they got a routine down. They know. So he buys the women some alcohol before inviting him back to the lodge for some breakfast. Now, when they leave, they actually leave with some whiskey. And I'm not really sure. I kind of suspect maybe Burke kind of had extracurricular activities in mind uh, because he doesn't take them back to the Tanner clothes. He actually takes them to his brother's house. Okay. So once they're at the brother's house, again, they're still drinking the whiskey. Patterson, Mary Patterson, basically passes it on the table, leaves Burke and Brown, Janet Brown, alone. So now they're just, like, chilling, chanting it up when old Helen, the wifey, comes in, and she's a little pissed. She's like, oh, so you doing this bitch? And so obviously an argument ensues. Burke does this thing where he ups and throws a glass at Helen and cuts her across the eye. And Brown, Janet Brown's like, no, this bitch is crazy. I want no part of this and leaves. But she leaves her friend Mary Patterson behind. What now, a girl. What a lass. Yeah, Fucking exactly. Drinking with the girls and just bye. Right. So, again, this becomes a problem in the future. Helen leaves, but she leaves and goes and gets hair and his wife because they know... They're going to hair and burker. They're going to burk and hair her. They're burk and hair her. I still like hair her and burker. <laughs> they murder her, and they, you know, hop, skip, and a jump back to Dr. Knox, and they use the good old body in a tea chest scenario as they scurry over to the university. Now, at this time, an assistant to Knox actually kind of recognizes her. He's like, hey, she looks a little familiar. Where did you find her? And Burke. I mean, he's pretty quick on his feet. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, she just drunk herself to death. So, I mean, obviously they had time to think about if anybody asks any questions, this is what I'm going to say. And another mistake at this point that they don't realize that they make, Helen actually keeps Mary Patterson's skirt and petticoat. The wife of Burke. Correct. The wife of Burke takes this dead woman's clothes. Correct. Okay. And keeps them. And keeps them. Right. Probably uses them. Wears them would be my Such guess. Such a fancy skirt. Yes. So basically, they have a routine. They have a specific victim type, alcoholic and boozers. And after killing a few more, you know, Burke is feeling pretty brazen. In fact, he gets so fucking brazen that he's walking home when he comes across a constable helping a drunk woman get home herself. So he walks up to the constable and he's like, hey, hey, I know her. I'll I'll make sure she gets home. And the constable's like, hey, sure, great. Here you go. And basically lops her onto Burke and Burke just kind of waits for the constable to go around the corner. Then he takes her home and, you know, Harris and Burke's her. Harris and Burke's <laughs> And then, you know, sells her off to Dr. Knotts. And I mean, I mean, that's pretty 
pretty pretty brazen. I mean, he literally you have a witness. That guy's fired. Yeah. That guy's just committed murder without charge. <laughs> right. He's pretty bad. So now it's, you know, it's June, okay? They've knocked a lot of people off. They're really brazen. Uh, at this point in time, they actually have an old woman and, quote-unquote, a dumb boy. Uh, her grandson, the old woman's grandson, staying a at the lodge. Boy. What's a dumb boy? I d- I, my assumption is maybe delayed. Oh, oh. I mean, we're not talking political correctness. No. I'm saying... 1820s. I'm CYOMing right now. Okay. I don't even know what that is. Cover your own ass. Um, Oh, shit. It's M-A-C-Y-O-A. Well, either way, while they're just sitting in the kitchen, they're like, hey, Grandma, (laughs) come with us. (laughs) These nice people want to drink. Right. It's all he says. All he can say to his grandma, Drake. Right. So, <laughs> Go to hell. Anywho, they take grandma into the other room after licking her, liquoring her up. Lick her up. Lick her up. And they murder her. And then they go back into the kitchen where they left the boy, the grandson. And they basically, they literally just physically pick him up, take him to the room right next to his dead grandma, and murder him. I mean, that's kind of. Oh, really not. He didn't deserve that. No, he didn't. Well, none of them did. But well, no, so. but. So, <laughs> no. Because no one's they... safe, motherfuckers. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're all going to die. Hide your kids. Hide your wives. Because they hurt and burking everyone out here. <laughs> now, obviously, they can't use the good old tea chest system because there wasn't enough room. Uh, so they actually bring in herring barrels. To take them to uh, Surgeon Square. And actually, side note, a little later when everything comes out, Burke actually admits that the murder of this boy was the one that disturbed him the most. And in fact, he said that he was haunted by the memory of the boy's expression. Now, again, (laughs) these guys are just rolling in it. They're killing left and right. They have their, their boozing program. And after a few more killings, Burke and Hare actually have a falling out. And Burke and Helen, the wife, move into Burke's cousin Brogan's house. But, of course, as soon as things smooth over, they resume their killing. And their next victim is an 18-year-old man with a limp caused by deformed feet named Jamie Wilson. And he's given the nickname Daft Jamie as it is believed that he was developmentally delayed. But he was actually well known because... As a homeless person, he went around begging for a living. So people actually knew him. I mean, he had a nickname, Daft Jamie. Daft Jamie. Right. So to Burke and Hare, he's kind of the perfect victim. Homeless, defenseless with his deformity. So using some whiskey as bait, Hare entices Wilson, Jamie, back to the lodgings. They, they put a, like a bottle of a ground with a string in a box? No, I don't <laughs> Just a big box? No, I think they're just like, hey, hey, you know what? I'm feeling, you know, I got paid today. Let's go. Come on, you white feet bastard. Let's go get drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what he said. It's not my fault. You said it. He's Daft Jamie. That was his nickname, I know. Well, I mean, he probably talked like that. Uh. Wide feet, tall... Jamie, I don't. That's, that's how, I feel like that's how all these people said to them right before they did. Okay, <laughs> let's go drink at the lodge, that Tanner's lodge, right? The ta- yeah, 
tenor clothes, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, either way, <laughs> I mean, so they, they liquor him up, and just when they think Jamie's right for the killing, Burke and Hare lead Jamie into the, you know, the killing bedroom. And uh, to their surprise, Jamie's actually not as drunk as they thought, and he actually fights back. But uh, there's two of them, and, you know, Burke just knows how to do it. So eventually they overpower him, and they suffocate him. And once he's dead, they actually strip his body and steal all of his homeless effects, his personal things. Homeless effects. Right. (laughs) And Burke kind of makes the mistake of doling out some of Jamie's things, such as Jamie's trouser pants. He gives his pants to his own son, Constantine. What? Yeah. So so it's fine, you know... What's this, you know the kid's name? What's the kid's name? James. Constantine? Yeah, son. Con- the son? Yeah. yeah. So it's like Constantine's eighth birthday. And the dad comes home for his birthday. He's all excited. What'd you give me? Got you this loincloth from the infamous Jamie. <laughs> this, it smells just like him. <laughs> like, what are you going to give him? I don't know. What? The homeless effects to an eight-year-old? I don't, <laughs> I don't know how this kid is, but I'm assuming this kid's young and he doesn't care. He's like, dad's home. Here's a gift from his father. I'm, well, Dad's not a dirt poor. bag. So he got him a dirty homeless man loincloth? <laughs> no. I don't, I don't know. What she, maybe he had like a, that top hat with like the hole on top. I, okay. Well, you know what? I'm just saying. Right. It's not Father of the Year award. Well, no. And again, they don't know it yet, but they're making huge mistakes because Jamie, like I said earlier, was well known to the people of Edinburgh. And so when they bring his body in, the Dr. Knott's students actually start saying, I know him. They recognize Jamie. So now Knox, who, you know, has to know that Burke and Hare aren't just finding these dead bodies by chance. They're not just falling dead right in front of them. They're just scooping them up. So, I mean, Dr. Burke has to know that they have to have some part of their demise. Her Dr. Burke. Burke and Hare have to have some part of these dead bodies. So, wait, you're saying now Dr. Knox is putting... I think Dr. Knox has always known. Well, I think he was... They should just nickname Dr. K because you you watch South Park with uh, the counselor. He goes, okay. No. Okay. Well, well, okay well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you don't lie to me. You're okay. an adult. Everyone's watched <laughs> South Park at least once. The counselor, you know, Mr. Mackey, I think his name is, he, he goes okay to basically everything at the end of the sentence. So I feel like, you know, Dr. K was just picking up bodies. He, he probably asked the question, you know, where'd you get this? So don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> okay, well. Okay. That's all his he, answers were. Okay. I've well, got a body. Okay. <laughs> well, he has a problem now. Dr. MK has a body now. Uh, problem now, actually. Because he knows that people are recognizing Jamie. So what he does is he goes ahead and he dissects Jamie's head, he, he removes Jamie's head from his body, and then he removes his feet before the main dissection because mm-hmm. obviously the head to avoid Jamie's facial recognition and the feet because of their formality. So <laughs> now he's kind of like, oh, well, the feet recognition. We'll never know now if this was Jamie. Who knows Jamie's feet? Right. A bunch of foot fetishes in the back of the day. Right. Come see Jamie. Right. On a long night after work. Can I see your feet? <laughs> anyway, moving forward. <laughs> Their final victim is a Margaret Dockery. Um, she's a middle-aged Irish woman, and Burke convinces her to join them at the Brogan's logging logging house by telling her that you know, 
oh, my mother was a Dockery, and she was from the same area as Ireland. And so Margaret's like, oh, 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 we're like family. We're like kin. And so they start boozing it up. He goes, he gets her drunk, but he leaves Margaret there with Helen, the wife. And he's like, hey, I got to go get some more whiskey, but he's actually going to go get hair. He goes and gets hair, but they come back and they realize they kind of have a problem. Aside from Margaret, there are two other lodgers, an Anne and James Gray, also staying at Brogan's house. And so what they do is they don't want to kill Margaret with Anne and James there. So they're like, hey, we're going to pay you to go stay at Hare's lodgings tonight. And Anne and James are like, okay, cool, we can do that. It's a little weird, but all right. And so they leave, but they actually come back a little bit around nine-ish because the Greys need to collect some of their clothing for their children. And at that time, they they see everyone's alive, everyone's all drunk, everyone's singing and dancing. And so they leave, and after Anne and James Gray leave, that's when Burke and Hare kill Margaret. They put her body in a pile of straw at the end of the bed, and they leave her there. I'm not exactly sure why they don't get like a chest, you know, put her in a her body in a tea chest. But when the Greys return the next day, everyone's kind of acting a little funky, and they they pick up on this vibe. And at one point in time, Anne tries to go to the bed where they stuffed Margaret's body, and Burke was like, "No, no, you, no, you can't go over there." And Anne's like, "Why?" So I mean, it's a real funky atmosphere, and. Anne kind of just plays it off, but basically what she does is she waits until everyone leaves the house, which was stupid on the part of Burke and Hare and Helen and the wife well, of they're Hare. they're not the brightest couples right. no. in, in Ireland at this point. Well, Scotland. Scotland. Sorry. <laughs> but once the house is clear, Anne goes to that bed and is like, "Why? what was the big deal here? And that's when she starts poking around the straw, and she finds... Doctory's body, you know, with the blood and saliva on her face. So Anne and James run to the police department, and as they're hightailing it over there, they run into Helen. And Helen knows, she can see automatically that they know that it's all super bad, and she tries to actually buy their silence for 10 pounds or 10 sterling a week, but they flat out refuse. And I don't know if Helen or Hare and Burke knew this, but Anne and James were actually some type of relation to Margaret, the lady they just killed. So they're like, no, you you killed our family member. You killed our cousin. Right, or our grandma or somebody. They head to the police. Helen hurries home to tell Burke and Hare, "We we gotta move the body. So Burke and Hare quickly take the body. They take it to doctor, not to surgery. And while they're doing that, the police arrive at Brogan's house and they find Daughtry's bloodstained clothing hidden under the bed. And so they start, hey, uh, Helen and Burke, what's going on here? They actually give several different accounts to what happened with Margaret. And because their story isn't consistent, it naturally raises the police's eyebrows and Burke and Helen are taken in for further question. And at the same time, they send some constables to bang on Knox's door, and they walk in, they walk in with James, and James is able to identify Daughtry's body. So they're caught, okay? Their stories aren't consistent with Helen. They found the body. They know they sold her body 
to Dr. Knotts. And the very next day, as they're trying to figure this all out, piece it all together as quickly as they can, Hare and his wife get arrested, as does Brogan, the cousin, because all this happened at his house. No, not the cousin. I know. He didn't know. Just trying to help a cousin out. Well, it's hard to believe that he didn't know. Come on. Come on. You don't know. Is his house? You know so? Shoot. So, in essence, a total of 16 people get burked and haired. Like I said, during this time, they sometimes had to use the vaults as the places uh, they could store the body before they could sell it to Dr. Knotts. And, you know, the vaults being basically a place of debauchery was the perfect hiding place. Now, on November 3rd, uh, 1828, the, an official warrant is issued for the detention of Burke and Hare and their wives, but Brogan actually gets released without further action. Now, the police who actually have police surgeon examine Margaret Debauchery's body, and they are sure it's suffocation, but they don't have the actual medical science to prove it. Remember, it's only 1828. They're not even sure. I mean, I, I don't even think that they have figured out that no two fingerprints are alike. We're talking uh, forensics, science being not even in infancy, okay? So, and naturally, this entire situation spreads like wildfire. I mean, who does this? Who just, who does this? And it's huge. Word is is all over town, and the police are being pressured to start solving what happened and get it to trial and get a conviction. But again, they don't have the science to prove actual guilt. So in addition to this, people are starting to come to the police confirming that some of the evidence that the police had gathered belonged to some of the missing people. Remember what I said earlier about Janet Brown, the girl that took off because Helen and Burke got into an argument? And she left her good old friend, Mary Patterson. She left, she's got the skirt still. She's got the skirt still. So <laughs> she, I wore it to the police station. <laughs> I love this, Scott. <laughs> well, Janet goes to the police station. She confirms that the skirt that they found in Helen's possessions was Mary Patterson's. And then a local baker informs the police that Jamie Wilson's trousers are being worn by Constantine, Burke's son. So, I mean... The baker? The baker recognized Jamie's trousers. Well, I'm sure Jamie baked at his bakery for some breadcrumbs or something. So the pants must have been fancy or something. Well, must have been some dirty fancy pants or something. <laughs> That's why the kid got them. It's like, look how fancy my pants are from daddy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So because of this, because of the local baker, on um, November 19th, a warrant is issued for the murder of Jamie Wilson and obviously Mary Patterson as well. So the police, because they don't have the forensic evidence to verify that they've been killed by these two people, they know they need someone to talk. On December 1st, they actually approach Hare to give him the opportunity to roll over, and he does. For his willingness to testify against Burke, he is offered not only immunity, but because he can't testify against his own wife, all the charges will get dropped against her as well. So Hare confesses everything he knows about the killing, and on December 2nd, Burke and Helen get charged with the murders of Mary Patterson, Jamie Wilson, and Mrs. Margaret Daughtry. Their trial begins 10 a.m. Christmas Eve before the High Court of the Judiciary in Edinburgh's Parliament House. The case is heard in front of Lord Justice Clerk David Boyle, 
supported by the lords of Meadowbrook, Pitmilly, and Mackenzie. And if you guys remember from the previous episode, this is the same guy, the Mackenzie Poltergeist guy. The court case itself literally goes all into the night and into Christmas morning. And by 3 a.m., Burke's attorney gives his final remarks. He speaks for two hours. And then the prosecution will speak for another three hours. And at 8.30, the jury retires to deliberate. It takes the jury 55 minutes to come back with a guilty verdict for the murder of Mrs. Daughtry. They actually don't levy any guilty charges against Helen, and she's free to go. But this situation has pissed off a lot of people. So she leaves. She, she, she's free to go. She leaves. She goes and she buys some whiskey. And an angry mob sees her and gives her chase. So she hightails it to the local police station. And the mob actually attacks the police station. So she's forced to jump out the back window. And, you know, she's like, she goes to see Burke and her request to see Burke is denied and she actually ends up leaving Edinburgh and never returns and nobody really knows what happens to her after that now Margaret also gets released but she gets released in January she travels to Glasgow she finds a passage back to Ireland but while she's waiting for the ship to go to Ireland she gets recognized and she's attacked by a mob and just like uh, Burke's wife Helen she runs to the police station and she has to be escorted back to the ship to the Belfast bound vessel. And again, they don't really know what happens to her after she reaches Ireland. Now Hare. Hare gets released on February 5th. He's actually held longer for his own protection because they know what's happened to the two wives. He tries leaving Edinburgh in disguise by a mail coach to Dumfries, but he gets recognized. And when he makes it to Dumfries, because of people know who he is and it spread like wildfire, a large crowd gathered where he was staying. So again, the police actually have to intervene and they, they actually use a decoy coach to draw the crowd off while Hare escapes through a guess what, a back window and heads to the town prison for safekeeping. But the crowd actually follows and they're really pissed and they actually start throwing stones and breaking doors or windows and street lamps. And they actually have to bring in a hundred special constables to restore order. So, I mean, people are really pissed off that Harris is getting away with this. Now they wait into the small hours of the morning and being escorted by a sheriff officer and a military guard, Hare gets taken out of town and he's basically set down on this Ananan road. And he's basically told, get your arse to England because we don't want anything to do with you anymore. And he basically disappears after that. But this all, of course, leaves Burke. Burke makes a full confession citing what both he and Hare did. And he gets hanged in, on the morning of January 28, 1829, in front of a crowd as large as 25,000 people. But here's the irony. After Burke is hanged, his body gets publicly dissected at the Edinburgh Medical College where they've been selling all the bodies to. And you could still see his skeleton at Surgeon's Hall Museum today. And if that's not enough, and more morbidly, a book has been made from his skin that you can also see at the museum. Yeah, and they even have like a death face mask of him. Why? I I don't know, to teach 
teach a lesson? Was that the only murder of Scotland? Everybody after that was like, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want no book. <laughs> I don't want my spine being the spine of a book. I don't know. <laughs> it's fucked up. So, Even they didn't kill that bad. They just, I mean, sure, they murdered people and it wasn't good, but like, at least they were like, not desecrating corpses. I mean, they weren't. Knox was, but it was for science. Right. Well, after all this is said and done, okay, there's actually a little bit of like a um a kid's chant, a little kid's lullaby, or a kid's okay, like one go- of the bridges falling down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It goes like this: up the clothes and doon the stairs, butt and bent went Burke and Hare. Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, knocks the boy that buys the beef. So. <laughs> Where's the beef? <laughs> that Doctor Knox's house. <laughs> okay, well that That's was pretty good. That's pretty good. It's uh, fucked up. Only Bert gets to only well, was bite the bullet. Yeah, everyone else gets away with it. I'm surprised the cops just didn't. You know, it's seven, it's seventeen hundred, right? I'm surprised they just go. Oh, you know, I didn't see nothing. You know, oh, mobs here. I should probably go home. Not worth your life, bud. <laughs> Well, either way, so that is our final Edinburgh episode with the, the <laughs> terrible story of the vaults being used by Burke and Hare, the two two uh, Edinburgh killers. Okay, so any final words from the panda? From the panda himself. Uh, it was good. It was good. I mean, not good. It's not good. Sorry. It's not good. It's not a good story to tell at night because then you can go home and think it's I drink too much, or Burke and Hare are gonna show up in my house. And Burke and Hare, you? Burke and Hare be just a man on top of me, and the man looking take trying to take my pillow and use it against me. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's kind of frightening, you know. Right. You can't go out to, the, to you know to our local bar watering hole, and you see two guys, ugly Scarface McGee and handsome handsome uh, Burke. Burke, hanging out together. You know you're in, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> That should not be a duo that's put together. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what was going on in everyone else's mind. I guess they were looking for free booze. Well, oh yeah, because remember, <laughs> life is hard. Well, they're at. They, I mean, they pick up these people. I mean, like. Well, final words. I, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, glad to be here once again. <laughs> Just keep telling me these torture porns. <laughs> torture porn. That's what they are. Okay. These murderous torture porns <laughs> just scar me. Yeah. You'll sleep fine. Oh, I don't think so. Uh, well, that's it, dark fellow travelers. That's all we have for tonight. Goodbye. Have a great night. <laughs> Hand out. <laughs> However, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are, or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. So until next time, please remember only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I. Hope to meet you where the dark corners are.